Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Radio is a great place for folks to provide feedback. What what do they think? And the obsession kind of with the media's obsession with one individual, 340 plus million folks, lots of problems in our country, lots of serious problems. And we obfuscate that the, the Nashville shooter situation, as soon as there was a transgender aspect to that, it was it it, it was done. It was it was it was cooked. It was baked. CNN wanted to push it to the sidelines. Nobody wants to talk about it. It, it, it. You know, NBC had to push that out. We don't want to talk about the transgender issue. No, we can't. And you would think so to the point of the earlier the earlier caller. We had a caller right at the top of the hour that was talking about um, th- that, you know, we, we get distracted with things and that we don't focus on stuff. And, and he's absolutely right. Journalists talked about journalism having a bias. When you answer who, what, when, where, why, those questions are the basis for, for decent journalism. What happened? Five people were shot today in South Charlotte. That would be, now they weren't, I'm, I'm just saying, if that were the story, that would be who, what, when today, why? We don't know the why, but we know that that manifesto has a lot to do with the why, and it hasn't been released. And it's not for me to judge what that individual said. Well, I mean, we will, because we, we love to judge everything. The point being is we don't know what what the reasoning was for that. I, t- I talked about this endlessly yesterday. When we don't know, a lot of times suicides and shooters sometimes there isn't. It doesn't. It isn't linear. It isn't logical. It doesn't make sense. But then we we get knee jerk and we want to pass legislation to fix things that we don't even know what we're trying to fix. We just say guns. Guns are horrible. Stop all the guns, and we won't have any bad people. And and it's just not going to fix the problem. But we do have a lot of serious problems in the country. We have serious challenges. We have ideological. We have an ideological war that's taking place right now between left and right. And nothing has illustrated this war in so many different ways. From climate, forget Trump. Let's get away from the the Trump and everything he represents, which a lot of which is about the values that you and I share. Not him personally in his personal life. I'm talking about NATO, the southern border domestic security, the weaponization of government, the hand-holding that, that government and others have put together. Um, it, it is astounding. Um, but I'll tell you, let's go to Billy. Billy, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? Hey, I'd like to make a comment about the uh, recent shooting. Um, initially, I was very confused as far as what was the birth sex of the individual, because they said a transgender female I guess I'm not up on the lingo to realize if that's a man who becomes a woman or a woman who wants to be a man. However, I think it's very interesting that the individual who did the shooting was born a woman. Yes. I think if you people are going to look at that as far as since that is not a normal thing for a woman to do, very out of the very odd. They're going to look oh, 3. at 3.7 percent. Yeah, does that very unusual. Support the transgender issue, as far as this person really feeling like a man and acting like a man, 
as far as um, mentally. Yeah. But there were, there were more than... That's the tip of the iceberg. This individual likely had a few issues on board. We don't know. Anything I say would be pure supposition. I'm going on what the police chief said. Yes, there were medications. Yes, they were under treatment. Yes, they had uh, legally acquired guns. Yes, the individual was a woman. And then uh, they uh, the, the media fell over itself when reports began to surface that uh, the uh, shooter identified. So it was important for them to, to, to tell you how the shooter identified. The shooter identified as a man. Therefore, it was a man that committed the crime. No, it's a biological female that committed the crime. Like you said, that's what it was. You're, that's what it is. That's what occurred. That, that is what occurred. That is a fact. No amount of journalism changes what the fact was. It was a shooter that tried to identify as a man, but was XY, XX chromosome, female. So uh, you're absolutely right. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for the call. And, and, he's, uh, and, and, and we fall over ourselves to change the key facts about what happened in any given case. And, man, the calls are just rolling in today. You want to get in on this conversation. It's 570-1110, 704-570-1110. You guys are always welcome. Appreciate it. I am Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Gallner here on News Talk 1110-993. Ken, what's going on, man? Hi, how are you today? I am wonderful. Good. Um, I don't know if it's been addressed by anyone but I am a 28-and-a-half-year so-called veteran of conspiracy theories, and they're mostly conspiracy truths. I started in 1994 with some incredible information, and there were people at work that sort of shunned me, and I've had people since call me and come up to me and you know, kind of thank me for opening their eyes to what's really going on. And one thing about this attack on constantly on Donald Trump is the media. And the media is owned by the Bilderberg Group. And I mean, they own roughly 99% of it. And this should be Hillary Clinton's second term in office. Donald Trump simply got in the way of what the New World Order wanted to do and what you're seeing right now. And opening the border like it is, is one of them. They do not and did not ever want a sovereign nation. And you're going, well, who are these people? Well, you know, the Queen of Denmark is one. George Soros is one. He's also a member of the Trilateral Commission. And but but, but let, me, let me, Ken, I want you to keep going, but I want to let our listeners know, because you're referring to stuff, and I want them to know what's real and, and what you're alleging. The Bilderberg Group is an actual group of elites that meet on a regular basis. That's true. That's not conspiracy. That's absolutely true. Right. The Trilateral Commission, George Will was a member of it. A lot of uh, high-ranking members of media and powerful business brokers have been a part of the Trilateral Commission, too. They're, they're, they're what you would call kind of globalist-oriented groups right. uh, from a technical standpoint. But, Ken, I didn't want to interrupt you too much. I just want to let folks know that those are legitimately real groups. So keep going. Well, you know, some people wouldn't want to believe that, you know, you know, if Joe Biden said he was Satan himself. They would still vote for him just to keep Trump out of there. And, you know, people that go against Trump, they really don't know why. You know, they call him a racist. But, you know, give me an example. You know, they call him just different things, but they never offer examples as to why. And people that are just um, not in the know, and I'm not in the know. I've just done my homework in the last, you know, 28 years or better. And a lot of things that I have been taught early on 
are absolutely here right now. And the southern border is one. Uh, you know, Ted Turner, I believe back in 2005, said we needed to eliminate 2 billion people. And this uh, pandemic, and I, that's exactly what the pandemic was. It was, you know, you can say what you want to about the COVID, but it was talked about at least in 2004, uh, how they wanted to inject people. They do want to eliminate a lot of people. Scare tactics are one of the things they try to do. And, you know, MSNBC, CNN, shows like The View, these are all bought and paid for people with, you know, just agendas to, and, you know, they do want to destroy this country in particular. In particular, they are going after the United States. Well, let me take yours and try to apply a, a different perspective on it. If, if, if you will allow me. I tell you what, can you stay through the break? Yeah. Because I need to go to a break. I, but I'd like to address some of your things and, and, and continue the conversation if you would, okay? But a lot of conspiracy theories aren't necessarily conspiracy theories when they're true and, and people know about them. Once, it, once it's known, conspiracy is largely an unknown. But it is largely known that there are groups, and, I, and I'll give him this, Bilderberg, those, you know, these are globalist groups, trilateral commission of globalist groups. If you are a, a raging socialist in the world today, the single greatest threat to your way to get things done through the UN, the European Union, or anywhere else is the United States of America. This, this document stands in the way. This, this U.S. Constitution and, and the precursor of the Declaration of Independence stands in the way of that. It is something that gives individuals rights rather than a collective group of governance rights. In fact, the U.S. Constitution is a delineation of things that government cannot do, that, that need permission from its citizens to do. And so that document and any kind of belief in it is the single greatest threat. To his point about the southern border and wanting to get rid of it, yes. If you delineate, if you get rid of borders for all countries, you end up with a globalist perspective. So he's not wrong at, at all about this. And when you look at George Soros, he talks about Soros. He's the big bad boogeyman for almost everybody on the right. And even the situation with Alvin Bragg, you know, they both said Alvin Bragg said, oh, I've never met George Soros. And Soros says, I've never met Alvin Bragg. But here's the reality. And it's also covered. You can read it at any number of sources right now. But, Al, but he did uh, give, was the largest donor to the group that was the largest backer of Alvin Bragg's election. And two members of Soros's family's family are on are actually on the donation list of him. In fact, it was a uh, uh, son Jonathan Soros and Jonathan's wife Jennifer Allen Soros donated directly to Bragg. So Soros, who's been after Trump, gets a DA elected that is after Trump. That's not a conspiracy. That's absolutely true. So Ken, I just wanted to to throw that out there, not to try to inflame anything to say, oh, Chad's is flaming right winger conspiracy guy, but to say a lot of what you you've looked at and mentioned has a great deal of validity to it. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. But I just thought, you know, folks should hear that because a lot of that is just, it is what it is. You're right. And uh, for the record, I'm not a uh, Republican or Democrat. I've been both. I'll never be again. I'm unaffiliated. And I consider myself a conspiracy truther. There are a lot of theories that I have done my homework on and dismissed as just being a theory. But a lot of the things that are going on now are true. And Bill and Hillary Clinton are both members of the Bilderberg Group. Bill Clinton has denied this, but I have a video of him at a Bilderberg Group meeting, and he most certainly is a globalist. Dr. Henry Kissinger, 
was a member of the Bilderberg Group. And uh, Joe Biden is nothing more than the puppet that they have been praying to get for years. They needed a Joe Biden, a man that has just way too old, can't think for himself, doesn't even know where the heck he's at. And, uh, you know, he's the puppet that they have been waiting on. And like I said, I firmly believe when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, this should be her second term in office as president. But he threw things off. Yeah, he really but threw again, things off. And that's why they attack him so much. They do not want to see that man back in the White House, even though he may be, you know, just the way he spoke and tweeted. He did great things for this country. He really did. He's the best president of my lifetime. And I'm 67, and he truly is the best president we have ever had in my lifetime. Maybe he doesn't, you know, speak presidential, but I'd rather have a man like that than I would a, you know, paid politician for the last 50 years like Joe Biden is. Well, I appreciate, Ken, I appreciate the call, okay? Sure. And and appreciate you listening, you know, and being part of that audience. Uh, a listener uh, contacted me in the break, you know, that the Constitution doesn't give us any rights. It acknowledges the rights God has given us. Uh, it, it is a delineation of what the, the, the limitations of government are, and they're, they're vast. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating document, um, and it, it does the— you know, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect unit, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And the and, and it's Article 1 and Article 2. It's, it's all of these are the limits. That's the Constitution. Declaration of Independence, a different document that, that you know, when in the course of human events, it comes and, and it, it's it's an, it's a it's recognizing the horrendous nature of organized uh, religion and, and, and the organization of government, the monarchy at the time. So, but they're amazing documents that, that do matter, and they do stand in the way. And, and so I want to reflect on that only because I was looking at Twitter today. I, I, I love perusing it. It's kind of the everybody's anger all at once. You know, you can read everybody's righteous indignation. The Socialist Party, the blue check Twitter, in other words, they pay. This is the irony of the Socialist Party. So the Socialist Party has a blue check, which means they're on a, a capitalist platform and they're contributing money. They're paying for the service of being on a capitalist platform. And here is their tweet. The ending of the global capitalist system and its replacement with an international socialist society run and democratically managed by working people and the oppressed is essential for healing the planet. Because socialism is necessary. That's the mentality. Now, they did this in a retweet of Greta Thunberg, who is the poster child, now 19 or 20, for the climate change. The climate change crowd is completely, it is a socialist platform. It has been. And the political left in this nation realized it in the 80s and 90s, not a conspiracy, but they realized socialism wasn't real palatable doesn't really sell. It's not sexy when you tell people you want to take away everything they own or take away their means of production or take away the means of energy, uh, that you want to you want to put government over the top of all that. It doesn't really work. It doesn't work in Cuba, Venezuela, Cambodia. It doesn't work in, in North Korea. It doesn't work anywhere it's ever been tried. But the socialists continue thinking, if only we tweak it just right, it'll be perfect. It, it isn't. 
It's a failed ide- ideology. But nonetheless, the Socialist Party wants this, and they know that whenever – and if you look at, at which party is more closely aligned with that, you know, it's the Democrats. Democrats pushing climate is, is pushing socialism. They're, they're doing it. It wittingly or on purpose or uh, in any way you want to frame it, conspiratorially, whatever way, they're the ones pushing that dogma. And they're pushing to become further left. And I say all that because that this isn't by – it's not acts. It's not conspiratorial. It's direct. It's very direct. That's what they want. And if they can push enough of that, you can stop the means of production. You can stop, uh, stop it and really regress and take away most of what you have to give you what they think you need. Wants and needs become very different in a socialist world, and it's not very pleasant. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. With us right now, Mike Ferguson. He is the president of the Self-Insurance Institute of America. I've known Mike for a while now. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you today? Chad, I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Man, absolutely. So tell folks a little bit about what, what your organization does, and then I want to go into a couple questions about not just it, but but all of the groups that are that are a part of this and what it means for everyday Americans, because it means a lot. Yeah, right. So our organization is, uh, is uh, our mission is to represent companies that are involved in what we call the, the self-insurance industry. And, and uh, a lot of people are not familiar with that, uh, but basically it just means that or companies that uh, that want to provide health benefits their, for their employees, uh, you know, there's really two options. One is they will just uh, purchase what we would call traditional uh, health insurance, where they'll go to an insurance carrier, purchase a kind of off-the-shelf policy. Uh, that's that's kind of the what people normally think of as how health insurance provi- provided. The other option is for the folks in our world is they decide instead of using an insurance company, we're just going to pay the cost of our medical the claims for our medical uh, for our folks medical expenses essentially out of operating expenses just like they would for for, for other uh, types of expenses and so there's a whole ecosystem uh, that is out there uh, that supports uh, this model of healthcare delivery and our organization is the place that everyone connects in uh, that uh, pursues this strategy and it is amazing. People don't realize that most companies over about the 300 employee mark, whether it's even governments, uh, local governments, st- uh, city, county governments, all these, they, they insure themselves. We had Dale Falwell, the treasurer for the state of North Carolina, on the show yesterday. And the state is a self-insured that goes through a, a third-party administrator. So people think they have Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance when really that's just the administrator for a massive plan. And it's become, you know, when I look through all of the different groups that SIA deals with, uh, talking about captives, workers' comp, uh, the, the healthcare side, the compliance, the transparency, a lot of laws have changed, but a lot of the people that are supposed to provide information, like hospitals and others, are not complying with the law right now. And it's, it's, it's very stressful to a lot of folks. Uh, yeah, it, it is. I mean, healthcare is a very dynamic uh, industry for sure. 
And uh, as you point out that, you know, most people don't even recognize that there's a kind of this alternative world, if you will, uh, of, of how it's being financed. And, you know, you pointed to, uh, you know, a public sector entity, and there's many public sector entities that, that uh, decide that this is a, a, a more effective way uh, to make sure that their employees uh, get good quality coverage and at the same time allowing the, the what we call the plan sponsor to do so more cost-effectively. And we see the cost continuing to escalate. And we see many organizations that are now being designed to go out and look at ways to, to create efficiencies in the system uh, and, and eliminate surprise billing and, and negotiate, you know, when there is some surprise billing of these overages, it's very complicated. What are your observations about where we're headed in healthcare in this country? Because I think you have a very unique perspective, but where do you think this is going? If, if you're talking to a broader audience outside of SIA, what would you say do you think is going to happen next over the next two to five years? Well, I can I can tell you where the, the many people want it to go, and we've started moving in the direction is is you sort of touched on is is, is a more uh, transparent uh, marketplace for healthcare uh, healthcare services. You know, as if you think about it, healthcare is is one of the few, arguably only types of either products or service where. People generally don't know the cost of, of the treatment that they're get, getting. Uh, they don't know the cost from if you look at sort of the at the individual level, and many times at the at the plan sponsor level, you don't even know what the cost is until after the service has been uh, has been provided. So I think there is um, there are a lot of stakeholders that have an interest uh, in pushing to, to get to a more transparent environment. And there's certainly now um, uh, government laws there that are mandating that, although it's taking uh, the, sort of the transition to this more transparent uh, environment is, is, is taking a while. It's complicated. Uh, and, you know, there's a bit of time before I think that we eventually get there. But I think that's, you know, if, you, if we fast forward three years, I think we will get to a point where we do have a situation that you are going to see uh, both at the consumer level and at the employer level, uh, a better idea of actually what we're paying for the, the uh, medical services that are being uh, uh, provided. The LA Times wrote a story yesterday indicating that, hey, medical inflation is back. Uh, it looks like a 5.5% increase kind of across the board. It's accelerating quite a bit. But a lot of, again, you know, I, I, as you looked at the Affordable Care Act and plans that were available in the marketplace, these things have gone up dramatically in 10 years, the cost if people want to purchase on the open market. I know you're dealing with the self-insured, but the cost of providing these self-insured plans are continuing to escalate. Do you think there comes a breaking point where companies just can't sustain providing a certain level of care for employees? Is that happening now, do you think? Well, obviously, uh, the, each company is going to have a different sort of threshold level. Uh, certainly, all have been facing increased costs on, on that. Uh, and, you know, possibly you may have a situation where, you know, some coverage is, you know, no longer continued by just because of the factors that you talked about. You know, the, although the, the, the countervailing observation is that, we, you know, we still will continue to be in a, a relatively tight labor market. Uh, so the competition for talent uh, is, is, is substantial. 
so I think as long as you as long as you have that um, factor in place, that you, that probably uh, sort of is a buffer uh, against companies, uh, you know, not you know sort of paying what they need to do to provide that important benefit. Um, you know, but but we'll see. As you say, that prices are rising, that the changes in the the workforce labor participation could fluctuate in the next couple of years. So we'll we'll have to see. Do you see more competition becoming an issue? I mean, in the state of North Carolina, we have certificate of need laws that kind of prevent competition. And it looks like geographically speaking, when I look at the nation, it looks like there isn't a lot of competition depending on which geography you're in. Do you foresee, you know, these ASCs, American Surgical Centers, which are these non-hospital surgical centers, do you see more competition becoming a way in which we mitigate at least some of the increases, or do you just see that it's just kind of going to stay out of control for a while? Well, I would say if you're if you're looking at again what we sort of term the traditional insurance market, meaning kind of you know Blue Cross, Cigna, United, you know the traditional sort of health insurance carriers, uh, I, I'm I'm skeptical that you're going to get much more competition because. You know, there's relatively few of those companies that are active in the marketplace. And in in most states, there's, you know, maybe two choices just by the way the market works. Uh, Some states, you you have one choice. So if you're looking just to to purchase insurance, just, again, sort of a traditional approach, uh, I'm I'm not optimistic that you're going to have really any more choices or, or... I don't think I don't think there's an opportunity for more competition to come into the market. At least it's not clear to me that that's going to happen. Now, if you uh, are a company that determines to self-insure your health benefits, you know, you have more control over the the cost of your plan and how it's structured. So, in that sense, it does give you self-insurance allows you to hedge, if you will, against the sort of the broader macro trends in the health insurance marketplace. Although uh, it, you're self-insured, you're still susceptible sort of the, to, to the general uh, inflation rate of, of in, the, in the medical sector, that's for sure. But you just have more tools in the toolbox to be able to mitigate those, those rising costs. I've always been critical of government with the, the thousands of acronyms, and it's very difficult. If you look through the IRS code, it's just it's thousands and thousands of pages of stuff that a lot of times folks can't explain. And and when I've I've been around your conferences and stuff, the number the 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 level of depth of the companies that are part of your organization, they're dealing with hundreds of acronyms that are in large measure, you know, kind of compliance related with government stuff, and it just seems to become more complex. And the groups that are trying to assist with this are dealing with just trying to make more sense of the bureaucracy and make it more efficient. Am I missing something in the way I'm looking at that? No, I, I think that's I think that's a that's a fair observation. It's a it's a it's a complicated market, and and within our organization, you know, we have a quite a diversity of types of companies, with many of them playing a very specialized niche. Uh, you know. We have companies that that in you know the the common factor is or at least common for many is that they you know they they try to work with employers to help them contain cost and try to deliver healthcare more effectively to their employees. But I mean, you look at I mean, just to give you an example, we have companies all they do is help employers manage the treatment cost for dialysis because uh, that's a big ticket item, and that's all they that's all they do. Um, and there are other companies that sort of 
plug it in different ways. But it's it's a complicated market. Uh, you know, there are some companies in the marketplace that you know have a very broad uh, capabilities, and then others that kind of help the cause in, in again very sort of one-off or specialized ways. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've been busy. You just wrapped up a great conference down in Orlando, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to be a part of the broadcast. Again, Mike Ferguson, he is the president of the Self-Insured Institute of America. You can find out more about them at SIIA.org, SIA.org. And Mike, thanks for being a part of the show, okay? Thank you, Chad. John, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. Thank you. you got a great show. And I just wanted to bring up, I'm a retired surgeon, 35 years and helped found two surgery centers, two wound clinics, and both my kids are in medicine, one teaching anatomy and the other one as a physician here in town. But it's interesting, the questions that you had that what people don't understand is there's going to be a huge doctor shortage coming, and it's based upon all the fact that IT, you can do four years of college and make almost more than if you did the 12 to 15 years to come out as a doctor. And on top of that, you've got the problem still of uh, escalating need of certificate. And on top of that, and I noticed in some states, until malpractice comes down, you're going to have really high costs. But what the direction is going to be is less doctors, more nurse practitioners, which is okay, although the amount of training varies by about 50,000 hours of clinical training. And so you're going to have a little bit more care, but you're going to have less specialization. And that's what you have in in, uh, Europe. John, I think you hit things by, and you you dealt with something in a very linear, logical fashion. You didn't stray into the world of political endeavor. You went straight down doctors, litigation, uh, practice, uh, and and what's happening. You, you even kind of mentioned certificate of care. I was going to mention that folks in certain parts of the of the North Carolina, like Terrell County, Currituck, uh, uh, those out there, they may have to drive four hours twice a week to get dialysis because we have this ridiculous certificate of need that prevents competition and other people from entering the marketplace. I think it is right. getting worse, not better. We're, we're falling through the cracks. It's complicated. It's bureaucratic. It's paperwork. I think we have a lot of good doctors and nurses, but we've got this unbelievably catastrophic uh, bureaucracy attached to medicine that is largely driven by government intervention in it. And what am but I missing also there? Driven, it was also driven by the 1990s when, when Wall Street found medicine, and then you had all the different companies buying in, like, well, look at CVS. They bought Aetna. And you look at, uh, at one time, the insurance companies covered their prescriptions, but then they turn it over to a company that does prescriptions. And my favorite is that that company is on the Wall Street market. Wow. It, it, it is it is a mess. I, I, you know, having a wife that survived a catastrophic illness, seeing my parents go through things, seeing what happened, I think we do have phenomenal doctors. But the, 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 the standard of care seems to be getting worse, not better. The specialties, I agree with you also, seeing that, that there are some phenomenal specialists, specialists out there, but there seem to be fewer of them and more geographically isolated. And that's partially because Medicare cut back on the number of residencies 
that uh, can be done by certain colleges, because I was involved in that as well. And I saw 12 residencies in orthopedics, five in urology, and two or three in cardiology all stop getting money because they're all funded by Medicare. Wow. Um, it, it, is, it, it is amazing. In fact, I, I heard an acronym I hadn't heard before. People were talking about BUCA. I didn't know what BUCA, and I was like, what was I went to this, uh, you know, this uh, insurance situation. It wasn't insurance, but it was the self-insured marketplace uh, conference. Right. And they were talking about BUCA, and it was Blue Cross United, Anthem, or Aetna, Anthem, Anthem, and Cigna, and, and uh, Humana, these big five health insurance companies that, that yeah. dominate the, the marketplace and have very little competition out there. And the sad thing is, is that the patient suffers. I don't disagree. Don't disagree at all. And we know less about what care we're getting. I mean, the, the, looking through medical bills, it's like studying. Uh, I don't know. It's like reading, reading de Tocqueville without any understanding of what democracy in America would be about. It is, it is complicated and impossible. And the charges, un, uh, yeah, I don't know how... Administ- I mean, administrators administrate. Doctors have no idea what's being charged for their services either. Am I, am I wrong there? They have no idea. No, and the funny thing is, is that when you look at the reimbursement at the doctor level, and then you look at the reimbursement at the CEO, I wish to get on uh, some of my, well, Wall Street Journal puts out, they had the top five paid CEOs of hospitals in the country, and the 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 cheapest one was making about five million a year. Yeah, it is. It's an unbelievable situation. And John, I, man, I appreciate you listening. And appreciate appreciate you being a part of the show. Well, it's a great show to listen to, buddy. Well, thank you, man. High praise. I'll take it all day long. And it has been an honor and a pleasure to be a part of this show. But he, he's right. Is the more I study the healthcare situation, I know I've been in it now for about 12 years in another in another ancillary capacity with respect to bringing competition to various markets for self-insured companies. I'm not affiliated with SIA, um, but but am familiar with their work. And it is astounding to me the lack of competition that we see, the increase in bureaucracy, the distance that people have from what they're paying and what they're getting in healthcare and the, the limited choices that they continue to face. And it's like going to a, imagine going to a grocery store and know there's not a single price in the whole supermarket. And then when you get to the end, you, you give them your, your food insurance card and somehow it works out, you pay your food deductible. And then later on, you get a crazy bill because somehow it was not transparent and, and you'd have no idea. And that's kind of where we are, except that you know we, we look at healthcare very differently. We don't look at care, we look at insurance as healthcare and it's not. Um, it would be like looking at food insurance as food. It's not. It would be. It's. It's an intermediary, and it's very confusing. And the government is not the answer. Although there are many players in this world, in that playing in that field, that want it to be a socialized system. And what he said is true. It's becoming more European. Fewer doctors, fewer choices, rationed care. All of that's coming. And if, if we don't stand up and start having true competition, and that means when Dale Falwell stood up against the big hospitals, the hospitals don't realize, here's how they're short-sighted. They're short-sighted with respect to the fact that they don't realize that their demise is being orchestrated by themselves. All these inflated salaries and administrative overheads, that's the icing on the cake that's going to make the cake crumble. They're so top-heavy that they're going to crumble, and then the government's going to come in and say, see, we, we tried to let you guys do it your way. The only way we can do it is to make it single-payer, one-size-fits-all. 
and whether that whether there's an oligarchy in place or socialized medicine completely, but it's an absolute mess. So do be aware of what's going on. Pay attention. Ask questions. You may think that you have insurance, but what you really is, you're working for a company that's self-insured. If you work for a company that's got more than 300 employees, you're self-insured. There's a pool of money there, and you have your car that's administered by someone else, and that's what you think is health insurance, and it is costing your company. You you could probably be making fifteen twenty thousand dollars more per year if you weren't having to cover that. Folks, it's been an honor and pleasure here at WBT Chat. I'm your guest host to Bernie Chris. Thanks all of you guys, and uh, have a fantastic weekend. And I'll be talking to you soon.